We're in Hebrews chapter 2 again. And I want to read the, the first eight verses and we'll be in verse 7 this morning. But as a reminder, we'll read the entire first eight verses. It says, For this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was at first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. For he did not subject to angels the world to come concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere saying, What is man that you remember him? Or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Most wonderful and gracious Heavenly Father in the name of Jesus and for the sake of His kingdom, we come to you this morning asking for a prophetic utterance that is true of your word, that is true of your Son. We're asking, Lord, for spiritual discernment that we may read the text of Scripture and that we will see man's lowly condition and that we will see he is far above uh, the creature, yet far too desperate and far too wicked to be saved unless, Lord, you have moved, unless you have appointed one to come to save, unless this Jesus that we speak of is true. And as he is, Lord, we come this morning to worship and glorify, to Proclaim the truth of the gospel message that it is a message of salvation. And that for those who are here today, Lord, who have already received this gospel and it has become effectual, Lord, we praise you and lift up the name of Jesus and praise him with all glory and honor. And ask that you would receive our worship and that we be reminded this morning of how great a salvation it is. But for those, Lord, who have not been effectually called, we pray that today would be the day of salvation. That today we would see the message of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, the only begotten, the one whose blood has been shed upon Calvary's cross, whose worth is infinite, whose price is matchless. Lord, that we can see that even the worst and the vilest of sinners as I could be saved. Lord, let us always marvel in your glory and in the wonder and in the might of who you are and what you have done. Let us glorify you this day, Lord, and we ask that you would cleanse us of all of our sins and our iniquity. Lord, let us uh, put the things of the world truly aside as it has already been prayed this morning. Lord, and let us trust in you for the revelation of your son, Jesus Christ, in these words. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So we're back in Hebrews chapter 2. We've spent a great deal of time in these, the first chapter and in these previous verses, verses 1 through 6. And 
We have this morning for our text, you have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. As we consider the text this morning, excuse me, we're opened up again another Sunday in, in chapter 2 of Hebrews and it might seem monotonous for some but for those who find true joy in the gospel message this is a wonderful place to be and we find ourselves amidst a deep theological description of the person of Jesus Christ in Hebrews Uh, most importantly we saw that in chapter one and it is uh, very important that we continue to see the description of the person of Jesus Christ and as the person of Christ is being revealed in these particular scriptures we see many facets and uh, from many different angles who he is and how each line and how each jot and tittle begin to show one who is the son of God one who is the son of man one who is prophet one who is priest one who is king one who is messiah who is creator who is truly king of kings and lord of lords and we see that this one is man as he must be man And he is God as he must be God. No other could hold these titles. No other could hold these positions. And without doubt, there is no other but Jesus Christ whom this describes. And as I I make that statement, no other could hold these titles and positions. Prophet, priest, king, son of God, Messiah, Savior. I would say to you that no other is willing to hold those titles. One may desire to be king, one may desire to call himself a prophet, one may desire to call himself your Lord, but none but Jesus Christ would die on the cross for any other man. No other would give his life, no other could pay such a debt but Jesus Christ. And so we have a reminder here, even this morning, uh, as we consider the, the current text and the text that we've described in the past, We have a a description of Jesus Christ, his person, and his work. Most importantly, that work that was finished on the cross. And so as we look at this chapter, we see a description of Christ and his eternality. We see a description of Christ and his deity, as well as his goal for coming in the flesh after the world already was of course, made by him. And we see this desire to save sinful man. This must be a desire of God because the desire of man is selfish. He wouldn't want to save anyone but himself. This no doubt was uh, miles apart from the thoughts of Christ as he was upon the cross. And the thief, you remember, say, well, then uh, save us and save yourself also. This is how we know, even if we didn't look at any other text, that Jesus, before his death, before his resurrection, we know that Jesus is the Messiah and that he is the Christ because he did not save himself. There's no glory in Christ saving himself. How could an eternal being save himself and be glorified in that? But there is a truly mighty display of power jurisdiction and authority and that Jesus Christ would come and be the final sacrificial lamb that he would be the only propitiation for man and that he would save them 
So we see that Jesus has come in the flesh and there's evidence that at this time as we receive this letter in, in the epistle to the Hebrews that some had come to believe in this particular Jesus, the true saving Jesus, and they had in fact come as the last and final covenant, understanding that these things were true, that the previous covenant was old, it was unable to save, and that this was a man who was fulfilling and who is the final covenant. This is a lasting salvation. This is a lasting sacrifice. This is a perfect atonement. And this is the perfect righteousness that man so needs to stand before God. All of this made possible by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and all of this made possible only if one would come to believe in Him and repent and have faith and trust in believing that they may have life in His name. This is the salvation brought by Christ. And the problem that we see is that the text is dealing with this, that there was uh, the idea and the understanding that even today the flesh still lingers. And the people in this time, the Hebrew people, although they were saved by this new covenant, although they believed and had a confession and a profession of Jesus Christ, and they knew that He alone was able to save, they were prone to wander. It's not just them that are prone to wander, but it is I and it is you. It's every man since Adam is prone to wander. And the truth is that man is given to straying. Straying from the message of Christ. Straying from the person of Christ. Straying from righteousness and holy living. And as we soon saw that such a warning has appeared in chapter 2 of Hebrews and is being reminded in the midst of the description of Christ, His deity and His work, that we see this particular warning. And it's telling us to be reminded of the gospel that is saving and that is of the saving Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And it is because He deserves the glory and honor. And that nothing else proclaims His glory and honor like the gospel. Therefore, when we read any text of Scripture, we must be looking for the gospel. We must be looking for Christ. As we continued with verses 5 and 6, we saw again that Christ is not to be compared with angels. This is something that has been carried over from the first chapter of Hebrews. He's not to be compared to angels, for he is much greater than an angel. One is a created being, that is the angel. One is the creator, and that is Jesus Christ. We see, though, that man had a tendency, especially with the background of, of Israel, with the background of the Hebrew people, that they would be given to glorifying to some degree these angels. We see that here is given one, the Son of God, and he is testifying of himself through word in his earthly ministry, through deed in his earthly ministry, and ultimately through his work upon Calvary's cross. Christ testifying. This is the very same Jesus that is the creator of these angels. And they never could fulfill his responsibilities. They never could because they don't even understand the saving power of the gospel. They don't understand what God would do for his creation. That he would love them so much amidst their sin. He would come and he would change them. And he would redeem mankind for himself. And never could these angels execute alone his judgment. 
for they must be sent out. Nor could the angels be worthy of worship as many have offered in times past, as many will in the future. To worship angelic being would be sinful. Always has been and always will be. But the Christ is. Jesus Christ is all the wonderful things that the angels will never be. He's more spectacular than any angel. He's more spectacular than any angel ever will be or ever could be. He is infinitely amazing. That's the best description that I could think of. Seems very simple. There's no comparison considering Jesus Christ and the angels. The text would bear out the record that the angels in the previous verses from weeks past were not subject to the world to come. Very sobering reminder for those of us who really know Jesus Christ that not even the angels are subject to the world to come. They have no control nor any knowledge of the eternal truths of the gospel. And then we pick up with the ever-continuing testimony that we see given through the ages about Jesus Christ, He being my Savior, and if you truly believe, He being yours as well. If you be truly born again and spared the wrath of God in hell, here is the testimony in verse 7 continued for you this morning. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. Now be very careful. You may not have uh, noticed last week, but we're, we're continuing a description and we know that the text is speaking of Jesus Christ, but we must not take it out of context. The previous verse says, What is man that you remember him or the son of man uh, that you are concerned about him? Those things... Somebody's going, somebody's going to misquote me here. Those things in their immediate context are not speaking of Jesus Christ. It's not saying when it says Son of Man, the title there, speaking of Jesus Christ. And you'll get that if you read the entire chapter. What is man that you remember him or the Son of Man that you are concerned about? And both of those are, are titles given to man. And that is why Jesus, as he comes, gives himself this title, the Son of Man, because he is describing for the people his deity and his his ability to be propitiation for man because he is a man. So remember this, in its immediate context, it's not speaking about Christ, but it's speaking about men when it says, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, speaking of mankind. But now we also know that if this is speaking of mankind, that these things must be derived from someone who already uh, has glory and honor. One who is already appointed over all of creation in the work of his hands, it says. So, in its immediate context, speaking of mankind, that he is low, that he is undeserving. But in its spiritual context, it does point to Christ. Because these things are not just coming forth for the first time in Hebrews chapter 2. Instead, we know that they are, in fact, from Psalm chapter 8. And so, 
we have another repeat of what we noticed last week as the penman reduces his thoughts of Christ from those things that are seemingly new ideas and understandings of Christ and he instead reminds us of the pre-incarnate Christ with these words prophesied in the Psalms. For no other reason would such a statement be made than it be for the deity of Christ to be upheld and for the message of salvation to be resounded. After all, Christ understood to be savior, was understood to be Savior in the New Testament. He must also be this very same Christ that was spoken of before the coming. And he must be the Christ who is accredited with salvation. So when we see this in Psalm chapter 8, how is it a picture of Christ? Because it is, it is stating before the Messiah has ever come, what is man? How is he so important, God? Why would you come and save man? And the truth is that there is no earthly reason why God would place man in such a position. But yet, we see that he has counted man as, as priceless because he knew that Christ would come. Because God had already provisioned before the world was created that Jesus Christ would come and he would decide the worth of man. He would pay the price of man with his blood. Therefore, when the question is asked in Psalms, how is this man who has been made lower than the angels for a little while, how is he crowned with glory? How is he crowned with honor? Why would you remember him? Why would you remember his sons? Why would you save? And the truth was because Christ was already on the cross. He lives in eternity. He's not separated and controlled by time. But the truth is that God's will is so sovereign that Christ had already gone to the cross, yet it was not physically seen. It was so sure that Christ would redeem those who belonged to him that they were already seen. Why would you remember man? Why would you count man as someone worth doing something for? And the text of course, must bear out the truths of Christ. So we see Christ's deity. And then we consider this. You have made him. Again, in its immediate context, speaking that Christ the Creator has made man. Therefore, it is no wonder why he would save man because it is his creation. It is whom he loves. Some created for honor and others for dishonor. But the truth is that in this first statement, you have made him. If we just stop right there, we see that God has done a work. Then, as we consider this is, uh, in no way, as we consider how Christ would fulfill these things, does it separate Christ from his deity? But in many ways, this solidifies what we have come to understand of Christ being both God and man because we know that the text says that Christ himself was made a little lower than the angels coming in the form of man coming in the flesh how has God made God now as we apply these things for Christ for a little while lower than the angels well Jesus did say that he came to do the will of the father who sent him the son coming is according to the will of the Father who sent him. There was no banishment of the Son from his heavenly kingdom. 
But in all respects, Jesus Christ who came to serve his creation was doing this serving that he has always done. Who is man that you remember him? Christ serving. Why, God, would you provide provision? Why would you provide any sacrifice uh, from the animal sacrifices forward to the final sacrifice of Christ? Why would you do this? He was coming to serve as he always had. He was serving first the Father in his first coming, that he would do the will, that he would reveal the truth of salvation, that it be only by God, that it be only by one who is the Son of God, and that truly in the day that Adam ate of the fruit, that death was sure. So Christ in his first coming serves the Father, fulfilling his will in redemption, that through it he might save mankind. So that if man is in fact to find salvation, then a man would and must turn to Christ. And in turning to Christ, man would then serve Christ. And likewise, if man is serving Christ, then in order to serve Christ appropriately, man must serve one another. This is the call of the church, to be servants. No better time can I think about that the church has appointed one and recognized one who is a servant, uh, one who is a deacon. Then it fall in this chapter and then we see how Christ has served the church and how the church must serve Christ and one another. This is the example that we have in Christ that through all of these things we might find ourselves ascribing to Him the glory and the honor and the reverence that He deserves as one who is very God. For this reason we may concentrate the previous statements in their spiritual context to say that God, the Son, Jesus Christ, came in perfect submission to His will that was and is God the Father's will because the two are one so that His perfect purpose could be accomplished by man so that His redemption could become a reality. Christ coming because his will is also the father's will that he being God and being a man may pay the sin debt for man the only problem with man paying the sin debt is that no mere man could fulfill this good and perfect will no mere man could do so that man would have to be paid for by man and none was of the nature that he could pay such a price. None was perfect that he could pay the price. So there must be a man who would come who is not limited by a single nature, which was that of the flesh, but a man who is ruled by the spiritual nature, by his deity, Jesus Christ. God had to fulfill God's will because man was unwilling and unable This is why the question is asked. What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you are concerned about him? God, you have made him for a little while lower than the angels. Speaking of mere mankind. But also if it applies to mankind, it must also apply to the man Christ Jesus. 
And it goes on to say that you've crowned him with glory and honor. This also speaking of mere mankind, but most certainly speaking of Jesus Christ because man could have no glory and honor unless he have Jesus Christ. And so we see that here is one who is God who is fulfilling the will of God. No one else could do so. The implication of the text is not the birth of a new man, but instead the scripture unveils the truth that one, that the one to come of which these things were stated was somehow changed from one state to another. You can't be made lower if you weren't first higher. This is the spiritual context. How does this apply to Christ? He's made lower because he is in fact higher. And thus a description of Christ is given that includes his deistic knowledge that one must have him if he is able to be saved. This is what Christ would come and preach. This is the description of the gospel. This is Christ taking on of the flesh being made for a little while lower. Christ in his humanity was born under this same law. No angel has ever been said of being born under the law, for they are only to respond to God for governance. God must decree to them what is to be done. They're not under this same law as man, so this is how it can't be applied to angelic being. This is why they can't uh, be subject to this world to come. For what we're speaking of is an old law and an old covenant and then a new law in the covenant of Christ's blood. Furthermore, that we see that there are several accounts in the New Testament scriptures that Christ was ministered to by these angels. The one who previously sent his ministering spirits, as we saw in chapter 1, is now receiving for his human nature ministering by those whom he created to do so for man. So we see the, the importance of angelic being given the law to man and then we see that Christ describes them and that God the Father describes them in Hebrews chapter 1 as ministering spirits, ministering spirits, ministering the gospel and the truths of God to mankind. And then as we see later, and I'll, I'll reference this again, as Christ is tempted by Satan, then they come to minister to him. Why? Because he was God, but he was also man. The angels were ministering to Christ as man. No separation of deity. No separation of humanity. But we have the angels doing what they were designed to do. Now giving to their creator ministering. It's no wonder that they look into these things and that they're awed. It's no wonder that we look into salvation and see the ramifications of all that God has put in place and that we have destroyed and we see that Christ must come. It's no exception that we should look and see how wonderful Christ is when we see that he created beings to minister to him as he knew he would take on flesh and become a man. And then in every way he would be subjected to everything that man has been subjected to. Even the ministering of one whom he was made lower than for a little while, these being the angels. And so we consider this tempting. 
These angels, as we know, were accredited with giving the law. And here is the Savior, the man, Christ Jesus, living under this law. And why did he do that? So that he could fulfill it because no one else could. It must be fulfilled. A little while lower than the angels, the text says. And speaking of man, it is speaking of his permanent condition while on this earth. But speaking of Christ, it was speaking of the temporary condition before his ascension into heaven that he also was a little while lower than the angels, separated from the full glory of God and the rights of his equality with God, which the text says that he did not grasp for. But he was, in fact, in his humanity, denied the presence of the Father as he would have always and continually had it before taking on flesh. No, this wouldn't last forever. And the climax of Christian understanding is, who is this Christ? And it can be found and defined by these words, a little while. Amen? Everything that we believe about Jesus Christ and about salvation can be summarized in these words, a little while. If Christ had stayed lower than the angels, there would be no saving message this morning. If the angels were always greater than Christ, he could not have been the Savior. If Jesus were to remain in death without ascending into heaven, we would eternally be doomed to hell. But amen, this morning here's the truth that there is the statement, a little while. I say this morning that your sin debt and my sin debt was paid and that it delivers us from hell, delivers our souls from the wrath that we deserve because we are in Jesus Christ and we were saved by just a little while. If you still don't understand, consider this 33-year walk of Christ in the flesh. Consider it in light of Psalm chapter 37, if you'd like to turn there. I want to read this to you. Psalm chapter 37, we'll start with verse 7. It says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who carries out wicked, wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it leads only to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. Yet a little while... And the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. This is a spiritual and eternal truth of just how important this little while is. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. This is all meant to depict the death, burial, 
resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Man is not worth considering. There is no value in our lives apart from Jesus Christ. There's nothing worth saving. There's nothing worth even remembering. That is why the penman would pose such a question. That would be why the Holy Spirit would cause whoever penned these words in the Hebrews and who, who would ever have penned them originally in the Psalms to ask this question, why would you remember this man? Why would you remember the Son of Man? You've made Him for a little while lower than the angels. The truth that Jesus Christ came for a little while lower than the angels to accomplish salvation upon Calvary's cross. And because of that, now we experience this life that is but a vapor. It is but a, a little while. Crowned with glory and honor. Appointed over the works of your hands. This is what we see in Genesis chapter 1 in the creation account that God has created man and that he gives man jurisdiction and dominion over all that he has created. This is what is being stated and what is being reminisced, so to speak, in chapter 2, verse 7, when it says you've appointed him over the works of your hands. We're appointed over the works of God's hands. Trusting man to look over these things, yet remaining sovereign because man does corrupt all that he puts his hand to, hands to. And so here we have a description that in its immediate context speaks of the depravity of man, but in the same text speaks of the awesome wonder and glory of Jesus Christ. This all describes for us not only the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it also must describe the death, burial, and resurrection of the saints of Jesus Christ, of the church, those who are in Him because for a little while they're lower than the angels. They've been crowned with glory and honor. And because of His, his conquering death, we too shall conquer death. For a little while, and then the wicked will be no more. That's what the text is describing that God has placed us in this position for no other reason, for no other purpose other than to proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. The purpose of man being remembered is not simply that man could have eternal life. It's not simply that you can have these treasures that are in heaven, but it is for the sole purpose of you continuing what we've seen from chapter 1 to chapter 2, continuing to proclaim the deity of Jesus Christ, continuing to proclaim that Jesus Christ alone is able to save, the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, the monopoly that Jesus Christ has on salvation. If you want to understand what Hebrews chapter 2 is doing, it's doing the very same thing that chapter 1. It's describing the complete inability for man to be saved and the complete dependency that we must have on one who is both man and God, the man who sitteth on the right hand of God the Father, whoever lives to make intercession, the only one able to save Jesus Christ. If this is not your testimony this morning, that you have not Jesus Christ. Consider the text from the Psalms. 
A little while and the wicked will be no more. If the truth of the gospel has testified to you that you're not worth remembering, that your life is full of vile and wickedness, in opposition to Jesus Christ, in opposition to God, then it's a wonderful time to understand that Jesus Christ alone is able to save. It's a wonderful time to remember that He is in control. And that as we'll see in the passages to come, that Jesus Christ's propitiation on the cross is able to bring many to glory. That without Him there is no glory. Without Him there is no honor. Without Jesus Christ there is no heaven. May we all this day be reminded how important it is to serve Christ, to serve one another. Not to just proclaim the gospel, but to live the gospel. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Fathers, we come before you once again. Lord, we thank you uh, for the truths of your Son. We thank you, Lord, that you would reveal to us our wickedness as we would be blinded to it without the testimony of your scriptures. Lord, we would be deceiving ourselves if we say that we do not sin. Yet oftentimes, Lord, we are in self-denial about these things. Lord, we just ask that truly the cleansing power that is in the blood of Jesus Christ, that it be applied to us today, and that its application be henceforth every day. Lord, as we know that His propitiation was once and for all that it was accomplished that every sin past present and future is paid for by the blood of your son let us not forsake him Lord calls us to do that which is in opposition to quenching the spirit calls us to trust and obey Lord and we thank you as we go forth uh, for this day for your many blessings and for your grace and your mercy we thank you that we can come before this table Lord truly in remembrance of your son Jesus Christ we ask that uh, in the observance of these things Lord that we truly cast our thoughts upon the cross and the work that was done there and the shed blood that provides the remission of sin in Jesus name we pray